In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I'm very excited that Marianne translated for us uh, the life of uh, Amma Morosal Antoni. So he's the picture in the bottom because he is undervalued in the church. You know, he's a great saint. He was very famous at his time, but not as famous over time. So I'm glad that he's finally got something in English available about him. Um, there's another author, Father Mark Swanson. He's not a father, who also has translated other things about him, but not his life. So this is this is great. His feast day was today, and even though he's listed in other saints' stories that he lived during, like Saint Ruiz, for example, or Pope Mateus the first, and they n name him as Saint Mark, they forgot to put his entry even in the Synaxarium. So in the Tazbaha, when we have the verse that says, "In our Father Abba Mark," um, it's referring. Um, to this Saint Mark and even reading this the translation was really fun because a lot of people don't if you're not in monastic culture which you're, you're not here um, it's easier in Egypt for people who visit this a lot of what's written here is still very alive um, so there's monastic rivalry for example so we're going to read that he went to his local monastery and they wouldn't write which monastery it was and they weren't good enough for him, so he went to another one. And so tradition has it that's maharra. So the St. Anthony monks will laugh at maharra, saying, you weren't able to, <laughs> to meet the needs of St. Mark. And when you think, when we read about the gardens he walked in or the, the places that he went, for those of you who have been to the monastery, it comes alive because you, you see the places that they're referring to and where the conversations must have happened, where he walked, where he talked. Um, so I'm going to read to you this translation, and then at the end, I'll give you a few stories of my personal experiences or those I know personally uh, that I've had with Ambamoros. He's one of my intercessors, actually, not just because he's a disciple of St. Anthony, but because he's just an amazing saint. Um, and uh, the story of his church, because his church to this day is known as uh, the Church of the Soweh, the Church of the Anchorites, um, because of the amount of, of things that happen in there. So I'll read this and then we'll, we'll go to the stories. So, this blessed saint was born in Upper Cairo from a city called Manshat and Masara, um, which means the town of the Nazarenes, um, which is what the Muslims call us as Christians. His biological father was called Makhruf, and his blessed mother's name was Diskna. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. When they were blessed with a, when they were blessed with a child, they named him Moros, Mark, and they raised him... Um, with good Christian teachings, as was the custom for the children of that period. When the child was 15 years old, his mother took him to the church. She met an elder saint named Amosawiros, or Severus, um, the bishop of the city of Asyut. Um, he carried the child in his arms and asked him about his name. The child answered Moros, and the bishop prophesied about him, saying, Truly I tell you, my son, that you will be like St. Mark, the first preacher of the gospel in Cairo. He then blessed him and left him with his mother and departed. His blessed mother was joyful because of this prophecy and raised him diligently. She took more care of him now than previously because his father had reposed and left him an orphan. Moros' father and grandfather used to seek guidance from a saintly priest named the Hegemon Raphael El Ninei. His parents were careful to fast every day until the ninth hour of the day, which is 3 p.m. In such a manner, Moros was raised under the example of his parents, as every day he wouldn't eat until the ninth hour. At the age of five, he stopped eating meat. When he saw his mother standing to pray, he would girdle himself with the belt and remain at her side until she finished praying. 
Whenever his mother gave him lunch for the day as he was going to work, he would give out, give out his lunch to all the hungry people he met on the road, while fasting until he returned home to his mother in the evening. So we see the early asceticism and lack of regard he has for his body from a young age. He's five and he's already giving out his lunch. One says he was harvesting the crop with the other workers. A woman came and she was stealing what he was collecting. When Moros saw her doing this, he used to take whatever he harvested daily and put it on the side in addition to what she was already collecting in order basically to accommodate for her theft. The woman marveled at the mercy in the heart of this young one and she reproached herself for what she was doing. His saintly mother was consistent in her church attendance and receipt of the holy mysteries. She did not prepare any food until after the ninth hour of the day and she only cooked legumes that they ate with oil. When her neighbors noticed this, they became consistent in fasting with her until the ninth hour of the day. They only ate from her food because despite her meager state, she never withheld mercy from her needy neighbors or anyone who was hungry. Moros noticed that whenever a poor person stood at her door and she couldn't find anything to give him, she took what she could collect from chicken eggs or a small amount of wheat and would give it to the poor person without turning that person away empty-handed. The saintly and pure woman continued to provide these acts of mercy until her home became a shelter for the needy and for the monks. Moros, her son, did not cease to help her and to imitate her works. When Moros turned 23, he longed to become a monk. He bid his mother farewell and went to one of the monasteries close to his town, which might have been Mahadra. The brothers who were residing in the monastery did not continually fast every day until the ninth hour. When Moros saw the monks in this state, he left them and returned to his saintly mother to take her blessing and to leave for the reputable monasteries where the monks are well known for their diligent struggle and the life uh, of asceticism. When his mother saw him, she rebuked him and said, I thought that you, my son, have died and ended, and I lost all hope that I would see you in this world again, because the one who has decided to be a monk is one who dies completely from this world. So why, my son, did you come back and forget the saying the Bible, that no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God? So it's very interesting compared to most moms um, in the saintly stories where they were devastated that their kids were going to the monastery or this one is telling him you weren't monk enough, um, <laughs> you need to go back to the monastery. When Moros heard this rebuke from his mother, he could not remain fixed in front of her. He quickly left the wilderness of St. Anthony the Great in the eastern desert. Through God's care and will, the hegemon Rafael al-Nine'i, who was a friend of the family of Moros, happened to be residing there at the time. When he saw the young man, he was exceedingly joyful. He instructed him for a few days, and then he sent him to the monastery of St. Paul, so he could worship there in solitude, because the young man did not have a beard. What the hegemon of Il meant from the, doing this is for Moros to live in absolute solitude first, without mingling with any of the brothers until his beard grew out, and not even to speak in front of them. So this sounds weird to us today, um, because it was a sign of, of eldership, because you could go to the monastery when you were extremely young, right? Some people were going to the monastery at the age of like 10, 11, 12, and so they'd be raised by the monks, some of them continued on as monks, some of them went back um, to the world to work. And at the time that this is being written, um, or what he, that he lived, I should say, St. Anthony and St. Paul's monasteries functioned as one monastery. Um, so the new, the novices and the young people would be sent to St. Paul's, um, where they would be discipled, and as they grew um, enough to, in their asceticism and their worship and in the, the, the virtues that one would hope to see in the elder, they would then be sent um, to the monastery of St. Anthony. So that's why he's being sent there first, but we'll see that they could come out um, at a young age to be an elder because he was an elder from his youth.
which is why they actually called him the elder saint uh, Moros or Mark. And so he left. Moros traveled to the monastery of St. Paul and lived in solitude there to worship. He dug for himself there a grave next to the garden, and he used to fast inside that grave two days at a time. When the enemy bothered him with hunger on the first day, he used to comfort and calm himself by saying to himself, Do not worry, my soul, and do not sorrow, for it is written that weeping will endure for an evening, but great joy in the morning. So tonight you are fasting, O my soul, and in the morning you will eat and be joyful. His soul was consoled and convinced with these good words and was, and was fasting from day to day. Father, Mor Father Mark grew in his fasting gradually little by little until he would fast three days at a time, then four days at a time, and soon after he completed one week, meaning he wouldn't eat a whole week. He spent a total of six years at the monastery of St. Paul. Then the monk Moros went, worked at the monastery... Sorry, the monk Moros worked at the monastery of St. Paul as a carrier of firewood. His brothers, the monks, used to force him to eat and break the rule that he set for himself. Behind their backs, however, he used to take what they gave him of food and bread and feed it to the camels as he was walking on his path, continuing to fast his seven days. And as thus, he resided at St. Paul's monastery for six years without sitting at the table with his brothers, the monks, to eat. No one saw him eat, but whenever he ate, he did so alone. When he fasted, no one knew the limit of his fasting, and he continued to grow weak as a result of asceticism. His not eating in front of them wasn't uh, an antisocial act. Um, at the time when everybody was eager to, to grow in fasting, um, the fear was that people would see how often he ate um, and that they would know what, he was, what, his, what his own rule was, which he wanted to keep as a secret. Um, Whenever he ate, he wept as he was eating. When his brothers asked him for the reason of why he wept at the table, he told them, As such, my children, the brothers asked St. Pachomius of the Canonia about the reason for his weeping at the table. And he said to them, I do not weep except for you, my brothers, because I eat bread alone and you eat of every kind. Whenever any of his brothers, the monks, urged him to eat honey or a little oil at the table, he would rebuke him, saying, Stop this, lest you blind me. He did not refer to physical blindness, but he explained to his brothers, The soul that is filled with the physical lusts blinds itself from the vision of God. And he would always tell his children whenever they felt pity towards his body due to its weakness and old age, No, my children, do not trust this body and do not loosen its ropes until the door of the grave, lest from fullness lust moves within us. In brief, this saint was a living example in the life of asceticism and the renunciation of the world for his children and his brothers the monks. Marvelous, secret, and strange hidden things were revealed to him. Even as he was in the flesh among his children from the monks, he used to see through the spirit all the orthodox kingdoms. He recalled every one of their kinds, meaning the kings of Ethiopia, Rome, Europe, and others. The Lord proclaimed the name of this elder saint in their countries, that they used to visit him with their gifts and seek his help at times of troubles. One of these kings visited the monastery and said that he saw a vision of St. Antony as he was calling for his help when he was at war. But when he saw St. Moros and Antony coming to him from the garden of the monastery, holding two pitchers of water, he realized that it was actually this person whom he saw in the vision. He rejoiced exceedingly and fell down, bowing on the ground, because of his great joy in meeting the elder. He asked him to accept a gift from him, but St. Moros did not accept. The brothers begged the elder to ask the king to make for them a large bell, which is currently present at the monastery and is still present at the monastery. The king left the monastery, made the large bell, and sent it to them. This bell has become a living memorial of the miracle that the elder St. Rosa Antoni performed to the European. As a result, all denominations of the Europeans visited the monastery asking about the father of the elder, and he granted them the blessing. No one who visited the elder from those who were close or far left without being joyful and comforted. Even the brethren who lived with him in the same monastery. 
He did not let anyone whose soul was sorrowful remain as such with comforting him with the word of God, and his sorrow would leave him at once. Those who visited the monastery brought expensive gifts for the elder. He did not look upon these gifts except with weeping for the visitors until they returned to the Lord away from their sins and transgressions. Um, the reason for this is because the period of Ambamoros um, was one of the worst persecutions in the history um, of the Coptic Orthodox Church. So if you guys know the story of St. Ruiz um, or Pope Matthäus, this was when they started making us wear the blue turbans, it's when they were making us wear heavy crosses that would wear out the, the skin on people's necks, that they would call them black necks from the amount of bruising that they would have on it. People were being massacred left, right, and center. Um, and so many people actually apostatized. Many people became Muslims during those times. Um, and Ambamoros, who was the father of confession of the Pope, um, because the Pope was, was from St. Anthony's Monastery as well, um, was, in spite of all this harshness they had on himself, comforting everybody in their tribulations and letting anybody um, who wanted to come back, come back. There was no rebuking, there was no chastisement, there was no anger. He literally um, would just um, let them back. So when they talk about his weeping, um, about all that was happening for their sins and transgressions, that that's why is that the church was in a in a very horrible place. Towards the end of his days, he was consistently weeping to the point that he asked the brethren to keep the door of the tafus, which is um, the tomb in the monastery, which the same one is still present in the monastery, the place where the monks who repose are buried. At the monastery, opened for him to go down and live among the dead and weep. When they stopped him, he answered them, saying, My children, do not rebuke me, because this is what some of the elders have said. The one who lives among the dead does not ever sin, because he sees the state of the one whose heart has sinned and died, and realizes what has become of him, so he weeps for what will happen to him in the same way. He used to always ask the chanter to chant for him the Lamentation of Jeremiah using the, the sad tune, which we say during the twelfth hour of Great Friday, and he enjoyed everyone... He enjoined everyone to remain silent while weeping during the chanting until the end of the lamentation. An event is worth mentioning with this elder. This incident occurred to him and Father Matthäus, Mother Pope Matthäus the Poor, on the road. He was the patriarch of the church at the time. When Prince Yelga arrested them to take revenge on them because of the riots where the Europeans committed robberies and burglaries in the city of Alexandria. This prince, who was a ruler in those days, took revenge on the Christians and sent messengers to all the monasteries under his authority, asking them for money. If I'm not mistaken, this is the time of the Crusades. Um, and so when the Europeans came to the Middle East with crosses on their breastplates, the Muslims took revenge on them as Crusaders, as well as on us um, for sharing a common religion. So we got the short end of the stick on both sides. When the messengers arrived at St. Anthony's Monastery, when the abbot when the abbot was still Father Metta, the leader of the messengers arrested Abu Metta and punished him much in order to obtain the funds and ammunition that belonged to the monastery. The leader of the troops did not respond to the pleas of the abbot to Father Metta to stop beating him. Then the elder, Ambamor Osalantoni, became angry with him and rebuked the leader, saying, Can you not see that he is pleading with you in the name of God to have mercy on him, and you do not accept pleasing you, you are not accepting to please god when the leader of the soldiers heard the words of the elder they grew more angry and ordered the soldiers to release father metta the abbot of the monastery and instead to beat the elder uh, Moro Antoni instead 
As thus, the soldiers threw him on the ground and beat him in front of the leader. When the leader of the soldiers finished punishing the monks, their elder, and their abbot, he bound the elder Moros, Father Metta, and a group of their brethren, and left with them to Cairo. He tormented them much on the road through hunger, thirst, walking barefoot in the desert. And I can tell you I've done it for like a hundred feet, and I thought my feet were going to bleed. So if they're walking miles out, this is actually torture. Whenever the elder asked the leader of the soldiers to give them a little water to drink, he refused. He barely gave the elder some water, but not his companions. So the elder Morse abstained and did not accept the water from him because he did not want to drink the water alone without his companions. He placed the water in the front of the leader and rebuked him, saying, Behold, the Lord our God quenches our thirst because he is more merciful than you are. Then he lifted his eyes to heaven, and the Lord responded to his plea and poured a heavy rain on them immediately, even so the troop was stopped. The leader and his men had to stop where they were, and it was impossible for the horses to move from the heaviness of the flowing rainwater. And then they all sat down to rest, and all of them drank water and were joyful. They asked the elder saint to pray for them to arrive to Cairo and enter safely. But he responded to them and said, God will not allow you to enter Cairo, but you will return to your monastery safely. This is indeed what happened, that Prince Yelga issued a decree from Cairo, sent it to the troops, ordering them to release them and to allow their return to the monastery. And there's the manuscripts of, of histor like the historical documents to support it. We mentioned this incident in brief in the life of Pope Matthäus I in another magazine that this was translated in. Towards the end of his days, the Holy Spirit informed him that his hour is near. He then began to console his children for his separation from them and remind them of the saying that our Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples, If you love me, keep my commandments. This elder father often referred his children to nearness of the hour of his departure from this world until he became suddenly weak and fell into the throes of death and began to bid his children the farewell of death. The elder remained in this illness until he completed his years. Even though he reached this difficult aging and endless weakness, he still did not lose his strength of mind and he did not lose his vision from the excessive weeping. Rather, he recognized everyone who came to him and consoled him as he deserved. When he felt that his final moment had arrived, he pointed his children and his brethren to go outside and to leave him alone. It was noon, and the bell had sounded for prayer. When the brethren left for prayers and left him alone, he leaned his head on one of his disciples and made the sign of the cross over his organs and his senses. His spirit was released in the hour with all calmness and comfort. Some of the brethren did not wait to finish the prayers and went to find that his spirit had already departed him. They mourned him with great sorrow and carried his body to the church. Hegemon Abraham performed the funeral services on him after they had shrouded him with pure shrouds. They buried him in a new grave inside the garden. The repose of the elder St. Moros of Antonia occurred at the sixth hour on the day of the 8th of Abib, July 15th, in the year 1102 AD. And this was summarized in the book of Miamar Meditations in the month of Abib. And his prayers be with us all. Amen. So his body, which is then in the garden, Today they they what the, not today it's been a few hundred years they built the church around his body so in the corner of the church when you go in is a clear tomb which is his it's 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 left closed um, and cemented actually from the outside because sometimes in our culture when people want blessings they think it's okay to break tombs so it's cemented and sealed um, shut and there's a great feast on on his. Um, uh, there's a great celebration on his feast every every single year. So that church is known as Kinesis the Sawah, which means that the like we said, the Church of the Sawah or the Anchorites. Um, and some of the monks, from what, even when I was young, used to tell me stories that they themselves um, had witnessed. Um, one of the ones that I that I particularly liked um, 
was two of the monks were there they were walking and talking late at night so they decided to go into the church just to pray our father um before going back to their cells to sleep before tazbahar so when they went into the church which has like two separate doors like there's an outer wooden one and then an interior one they found the doors open which was abnormal but when they went in they saw a man standing at the altar and when and he was dressed like in monastic clothing when he saw the monks he like took two steps forward in the sanctuary like running and just vanished in front of their eyes um so they were really afraid but they went into the sanctuary um and what they found was that all of the small prayer requests that everybody makes um that had been folded up and people had put under the altar and on the altar and all over the place every single one of them had been opened and laid out flat on the altar and been prayed for it was a nice lesson that that people are praying in front of his body is an endil like like these and there is a tradition that the the endil or the vigil lamp of uh St Mark never goes out So one of the monks who's who's still in the monastery still alive um was made responsible to take care of the church it's called the Kanaisi and he didn't really believe the story because they were filling the oil regularly every day so he's saying if there's really uh something to this then why are we bothering to to refill it so he refused to refill it um and so he came into the church one morning before tazbaha um and the oil had run out and in front of his very eyes he said he saw like this fireball just drop down from the ceiling um and relight it so like so i now i feel it <laughs> he goes i believe in it i i leave it alone um there is another elder monk that i know who who is himself a sawah but um he somebody came to him in the monastery having as a worker in the monastery and he was using a machine and he cut off his thumb and so he came screaming and crying to this this monk who's alive um asking him uh to heal him so i i'm pretty sure when i could have healed him but when i also didn't want to be famous or seen for his for his gifts so he told him just to wrap it and go um spend the night in front of ambamoros's uh burial site and so he did so he came in the morning and there's not even a scar um like it was completely fused back to his hand completely functional um with with no issues there's another story the all of these are living stories like these are not ancient stories these are all stories like recently like last 10 15 years um there's one lady that came to the monastery who was possessed and she knew she was possessed um and she'd been to many monasteries hoping that somebody was going to be able to to free her from from her spiritual calamity so she came to the exorcist that's at St Anthony's and he couldn't either um he tried and failed and was like I'm not really sure what to do with her so they told her you should spend the night in Ambamoros in Antony's church i spent the night in there it's petrifying um and and i'll be gamed like i have a, <laughs> have a hard heart like i'm not i don't easily scare so not anybody can do that so they told her okay you should do this so the monk one of the monks took her to the church at night opened it up for her um and like to look spend the night pray like do your thing and and we'll see so knowing that it's a very scary church and the reputation that it has um he said i left the first door very slowly um and i turned off the light 
and I, I waited a little bit because I expected she was going to scream or cry out or, or something because it really is scary. Um, and he goes, but I heard nothing, so I figured she was fine. And he warned her that he was going to tell the monk in the morning that there's going to be a random woman in the church not to freak out um, because he, she was being locked in, essentially. Um, and then locked the outer door. So everything is closed up. And when we say locked, it's like it's not a key lock. It's one of those pad locks, like those those big heavy ones. So the next morning, the monk went, opened the church. It's fine. Um, and so that monk that brought her in went up to her, saw her really like joyful, and he said, um, "I'm glad like you're happy." He, in his mind, nothing was going to happen. Like he he thought like we're, we're clutching at straws here. So he goes, I thought you were going to freak out last night um, when I walked out, when I turned off the light. So she looked and she goes, you didn't turn off the light. Um, and he's like, no, I, I definitely turned off the light. And even if he hadn't, the electricity cuts on its own every night in the monastery at a certain time, so it would have been out. And he was like, no, you walked out and another monk walked in. And so <laughs> he was like, what did he look like? Um, so she pointed at the picture of St. Mark that was hanging. She goes, that one. Um, she's like, you walked out, he walked in. Um, and he saw me crying and he asked me, why are you crying? Because even in life, he was compassionate, as you can see. He was always compassionate on others, strict on himself, compassionate to others. Um, so he, he, he put his arm around her, prayed for her, um, put his cross on, on her head and said, Khafish, don't worry, my daughter. Um, going forward, you're, you will be fine. Um, and she was fine. Like whatever, whatever was, was travailing her, if that's the right word, um, was, was brought to a cease at that point. There's another person who was struggling with an illness that I know um, who was really upset about his illness um, because it was very debilitating. The fatigue was just making him unable to function. So he decided to, to try to spend the night in, in Ambamorosas. So he told me that he prayed for a long time and he was a little bit antsy. And then, just as he was about to fall asleep, he said, he heard the door slam, which was impossible because again, it was locked shut. Um, and then like a whirlwind, it sounded like a whirlwind in the church. And then the whole church was filled with the smell of sweet incense. Um, and that youth who was very like originally afraid, suddenly was completely the opposite, like completely full of peace, which is one of the big signs that it's from God and not something else. And had his energy actually restored for, for a long time after that. There's another youth, um, just to show how active he is, even though he's not known, um, who is a son of that monastery, he's not a monk there, who used to go on his retreats there and spend um, his, his holidays there whenever he could. So he didn't know the story of, of Ambamoro Salantoni. And so one night he was sitting out um, with a couple of the monks and he said, can you, can you tell me the story um, of, this, of this saint? And so they told him the story, they went, they went through it and he got very excited. And it happened that the room that in the monastery, just like at retreat houses, usually every room will be named after a, after a saint. So it happened, and he didn't realize that the room that he was staying in is named after um, Moro Solantoni. And so he was very vigilant about going um, to Tezbaha every single day in liturgies, like he'd been there for a while. And so in the middle of the night, he woke up um, because he sent somebody in the room. And when he woke up, he found um, Emma Moro sitting beside him, 
on the bed. Um, and the youth was so tired that he didn't connect that no one should be in, in the room, like especially when it's a locked room um, from the inside. And so he like looked at the monk and sa- asked him, uh, oh, is it time for tazbaha? And the monk smiled and actually like patted him on the shoulder um, and just like adjusted his um, blanket for him. And he said, no, Habibi, it's, it's not yet in, in a little while. And then when it was time for tazbaha, Amamurus woke him up and then walked out. And that youth didn't click until on his way to the church, the, all that, that happened like didn't make any, any sense um, because it's, it's one of those indoor locks, ones that you slide like shut. And so this person is coming in and out when there's absolutely no way of doing that. So he actually thought it was another one of the monks that told him the story. He's like, are you a sowah secretly? Um, like, did you come to my room? Um, and then clicked when he went to church because it was the feast that it was Amba Moros. But he went to one of the elders of the monastery um, and asked him. And then the elder gave him a whole bunch of questions of what did he look like? What did he say? What did he sound like? Because the elder sees them all the time. And he's like, no, 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 no that was Amba um, Moros. So... Those of you who don't know him now, you know him. <laughs> I encourage you all to use him as an intercessor because he's not one that's used very much, which means he's not too busy. Um, so you can, you can use him and get close to a saint. I, what I love about him is that his strictness was a true strictness because a, mer- a strictness on the self that's done for the love of God should make a person more loving. It shouldn't make a person more angry or more strict or more severe but when a person is doing it for the right reason out of love it should result in that person being more charitable right that he in spite of what he went through in spite of those beatings always had a heart for everybody else right that was the result on him is that it made him carry those around him and really without him and Pope Mateus during that period the church could have as part from the grace of God could have collapsed um, with how with how bad it was. I mean, the story leaves out a lot of the details of the persecution for political reasons because at the time they couldn't write much about what the Muslims were doing because it's not it wasn't allowed. It's not free like that in Egypt to do so. So ask yourself if you are strict on yourself at all, um, and if so, if you're doing it for the love of God, right, or for the love of yourself. And glory be to our God forever and ever, to the age of ages. Amen.